series called Jesus in Motion. And we're going to be walking through, as Jesus did, the Gospel of Mark. And if you remember our vision statement that we put out last year, um, the main crux of it, you see the arrows up all over the church, but it's all about us having forward momentum. And so we're going to watch uh, Mark, uh, as he lay, or we're going to watch Jesus as he walks through Mark. It's very action packed, and, and we're going to see him moving quickly and how he calls us to do the same exact thing. So let's kick off Mark with Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And this is what he says He says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now it's interesting that um, when Mark launches into Jesus' ministry, uh, he doesn't start like Matthew and Luke do by get talking about the birth narrative. He just says the beginning. Now that can, that can refer to a cause or the head of something. Uh, in John chapter 1 verse 1 we read, In the beginning was the word. Now, now beginning can also refer to the start of something, like a road. You know, at a deeper level, Mark is telling us that he is about to begin something that is brand new. Then we keep reading. He says, the beginning of the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Now, I know that uh, for most of us, if, if we've been in the church, we, we know gospel, and, and that's Jesus' word and the good news. But if you didn't know that, that's simply what it means. It stands for the good news. So, what is the good news? For Christians, the good news is the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. And Mark wastes little time really coming to the identity of the subject of his entire book. And he uses three names and titles um, for Jesus. First, he starts out with the person. It's Jesus. That was his given name. In the Hebrew, that means Yeshua. It means Yahweh is salvation. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we read, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is a description of his mission. Jesus will save us of our sins. And then Mark talks about his position. He is the Christ. Now Christ is the Greek title for Messiah, and it means anointed one. The question of Jesus' identity is the hinge and the point of the entire book. In Mark chapter 8, verse 29, we read, And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? He was talking to his disciples, and, and you know, they were throwing out all different things. Well, you're John the Baptist. Well, you're you know, all of these different prophets. And Jesus turns it on his disciples, and he says, What about you? Who do you say that I am? And this is what Peter said. He said, you are the Christ. It is really the hinge of the book and the hinge of our lives. Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ. Now, let me ask you, have you done that? Have we, as Christians, proclaimed Jesus as the Christ? Is he the anointed one? Is he our Messiah? And then Mark shows his power because he is the Son of of God. Now, this bold title can face his full divine status. Go to Mark chapter 3, verse 11. It tells us when demons saw him, they, found, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. We also see this in the centurion soldier's confession in Mark chapter 15, verse 39. 
if Peter's confession is the hinge point of the book, this military man's declaration is the high point. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. So Mark, the very first thing that he wants to do is he wants to point out who is the, the, the main focus of his book. It is Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. So what, what about Mark? Who is Mark? Before we really dive in and get into verse 2 and continuing, who, who is Mark? Now, no one has really disputed who um, the, the person who wrote this book is. It is John Mark. Uh, that is the name that is given to him. And, and one thing that might help you connect with the Gospel of Mark over other Gospels or other books or other people in the New Testament, I want to tell you who Mark was. Mark folded. He folded on the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul took Mark on a short-term mission trip, and in Acts chapter 13, verse 5, he's referred to as an assistant or a helper. But when things got messy, when things got a little too hot to handle for John Mark, he folded and ended up going back home. Now, this caused some conflict between Paul and Barnabas, who were on this mission trip, and Barnabas gives John Mark a second chance, but Paul at the beginning here, he wasn't willing to do so. He said, I need committed people. I need people that are committed to the gospel. And, and so John went on his, or Paul went on his way. He took Ty, uh, Timothy with him and, and Barnabas kind of went with John Mark. However, Paul kind of chilled out a little bit. He saw that God loves to give second chances and to restore those who fold on him. I want to check out this amazing statement from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. We read, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for the ministry. Mark fled and he folded. But because of God's faithfulness, God never gave up on this man. Man, that should tell us something and, and give us that just wanting to dig into his gospel. I find it interesting that Mark bailed and Peter failed, yet both of them get back on mission and do amazing things in forward momentum for Jesus Christ and his ultimate mission. Aren't you glad that just because you fold or fail from time to time that it doesn't disqualify you from the mission of Jesus Christ. We all are able to be used. Now, when we read through uh, the, the Gospel of Mark, there's some interesting things. And, and one of the things for me, and uh, I, I've always said that Mark is kind of the ADD uh, Gospel. Uh, he is the one that says, and Jesus went here, and Jesus went here, and he was, it's just very action-packed, and Mark focuses in on the works of Jesus, less than on his words, but on his actions, and that's why we wanted to use this, because we need action today. The gospel declares that we need to be active. There, there's so many things that are going on in the world today, and we need to take action. This coronavirus, it is going 
crazy and, and there's a lot of things that are happening in this world today and and we need to get off of Facebook and all of these other um, social media accounts and what we need to do is share the gospel that that's what we've been called to do I don't care what political party you're a part of I don't care what your thoughts of of this last Wednesday are and and yes we, we need to say um, you know what is wrong and wrong and what is right is right but here's the thing as Christians we have been called to be accountable for our actions, to share the gospel message with everyone that we come in contact with. That's the focus of all of this. It is about being action-packed and moving forward with the gospel. That is who we are as Christians, and that is what we've been called to do. Not to a political party, not to America first, Jesus first. The gospel message first. That's what we're called to focus in on. And as we read through this, Mark records 19 miracles, but only four parables. Interesting, each of these parables, it actually has a serving key to its theme. We also see Jesus acts and moves quickly to the needs of those around us. We see the use of the word immediately or straight away used 42 times. It tells us that there is excitement in Jesus and in the gospel of Mark. You see, Mark's gospel uh, will equip, equip us to live on mission. We need to get out of this self-absorption, self-centered, focused lives we need to get away from that and focus on putting Jesus first, the gospel first. So as we dig into the good news about the life of Jesus, I want us to start where Mark starts. And that is with God preparing the way. God prepares. That that's where it all starts. Before Jesus prepares anything, before Jesus goes into his ministry, God prepares the way through a man named John the Baptist. Now, to help us understand a little bit more, Jesus and John were, were cousins, and both had great birth stories, but they were not equal. John MacArthur uh, imagines the conversation that might have taken place when these two moms, Mary and Elizabeth, get together, and, and Mary says, well, so, so how is John? Peculiar. Really peculiar. Odd. I, I mean, I, I love my son, but... He left and he went out to the wilderness and he dresses weird and he eats all kinds of weird things. Odd. And Elizabeth looks at Mary and says, well, what about you? Well, how's your son? And Mary would say, well, you know, he's perfect. It's kind of a conversation stopper right there. John was all about being second to the Savior, though, and that's what I want us to focus in on. So let's look at John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. This is what we read. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a, ba a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with 
camel's hair and, and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After he comes, he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that there's three things that we see in the life of John. The first one is John is the preparer. God uses John to prepare the way. That, that was his first and foremost job, is to prepare the way for Jesus. Mark tells us in, in verse 2 that Isaiah predicted exactly what John would do. The phrase, it is written, is in the present tense, indicating a continuous result. Look, for, look at, look, at uh, look, look what we read there in verse 2 again. It says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. You will prepare your way. Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John is the messenger sent to prepare the way. He, even though John ministered in the wilderness, he was highly visible. Twice we read that he came to prepare the way. Now, in ancient times, when a, a king would travel somewhere, someone would go ahead of him to make sure that the paths were straight, that the roads were, were not bumpy, that they were all laid out, there weren't any potholes in, in the way, to make sure that there were no twists and turns, that there was no evil twist that, that would maybe get the king in trouble. Now, John the Baptist was a lot like that. He didn't want anyone to have a blowout, to have to be pulled over. He didn't want anything in the way of the one who was the, the way, the truth, and the life. The forerunner would also announce to the people that the king was coming. So they better get ready. They better be prepared to meet him. Now, the wilderness refers to the rolling badlands that made up a desolate area, barren. But what we find out was that people were traveling out there constantly to come and meet John the Baptist. They had heard him. A small group of people heard him. And then more and more and more and more and more people were, were traveling in the area of Judea and Jerusalem. They were going out as John was preparing the way. And then... John not only prepared the way, he became the proclaimer. John prepared and proclaimed. Look at verse 4. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now that word baptism or baptizing refers to immersion. It is the idea of going totally under the water, to dunk, to plunge to get all the way underneath of the water, not holding anything back. Now, at that time, and, and what was really cool was when, G, when, when Teresa and I were able to go over to uh, Israel, we were in the area of the Badlands, in the wilderness, um, where John the Baptist would have um, been preparing the way. And one of the things that we saw, there were, there were many different baptismal pools that were there. And what would happen was uh, the, for a ritual uh, Jew, they would walk in one side of the water and then they would walk out the other side. 
meaning that they would not pass back through. But John actually started baptizing, putting them completely under. Now, I don't know about you, but um, when you were baptized, there was a feeling of, of hopelessness, of helplessness, that you were putting your trust in someone else. And that's exactly what was taking place here. You were putting your life in someone else's hands. As you laid yourself back, you heard them say, well, I'm going to hold you under until the bubbles come up. You had to trust them that they would actually bring you up before the bubble stopped. But the baptism is complete immersion, holding under the water. Now, as we continue reading forward, there's two primary points of, of John's proclamation. The first one is repentance from sin. What does repentance mean? That's, that's a big churchy's word, right? Like, what does that mean? Repentance just means a change of mind that results in a change of action. Changing your direction. Now we must proclaim repentance in our gospel presentations. When we share the gospel message, when we share the good news, there needs to be a change in the life of that person. There has to be a change in, in my life. And that's very, very important. The problem is, is that many people just see Jesus as an app, an add-on. But what we need to see is that he is the foremost. He is the first thing in our lives. We talked about that last week. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. And we have to remember that. There's a lot of churches today. There's a lot of, of pastors today that are, are preaching a watered-down gospel message, and that can't be the focus. There are no demands, there's no discipleship, but that is not what we read in the gospels. That's not what we read, that's not what we hear coming from John the Baptist, and it's not what we will hear from Jesus as well. We need to be truth-tellers. We must be on guard, because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3-4, through 4, it says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We need to make sure that we are preaching repentance. Secondly, the thing that John proclaims is remission of sins or forgiveness of sins. Now that word forgiveness means to be released. To have your sins remitted though as if they never happened. In, in Acts chapter 3 verse 19 it, it puts repentance and remission together. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. You know we we hold on to our sins. We hold on to the sins of others who have harmed us. But what we have been called to do is to have our sins blotted out, to have them as far as the east is from the west, that we will no longer have them remembered, and we need to let go of them as well. Verse 5 tells us that John was baptizing multitudes of people. Look, look at verse 5. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, 
Now that phrase, we're going out to him, means that there was a continuous stream of people. One commentator says that as many as 300,000 people could have went out over a, a series of months, could have went out to meet John the Baptist and be baptized in the Jordan River. It was also not an easy walk. It was about 20 miles from Jerusalem in the areas of Judea to get to the Jordan River and this area of where John the Baptist was, was preaching. Now the Jordan River, it's, it's not some raging river uh, like the mighty Mississippi or even the Potomac River. It, it, it's more like a creek. At, at its deepest point, it's about 10 feet deep. At, at its widest, it's only about 100 feet wide. It was a little over underwhelming when Teresa and I went there. But what we do know is that John, uh, in John chapter 3, verse 23, he was baptizing at Anon near Salem, which uh, because water was plentiful there. This is more evidence arguing for immersion because John went where the water was plentiful, that he could submerge the people completely. The Jordan had spiritual significance to the people as well. It was associated with the deliverance because Joshua led the people across it as they headed to the, the land of promise. People went from the wilderness, which was associated with death, and through the Jordan, which represented this deliverance. That's exactly what was happening here. John confronted them with their sins. Have we been confronted with our sins? If I've not been doing a good job of it, it's one of the things that you're going to hear repeated throughout this year. To have remission of our sins, to have them completely blotted out, to repent of them, to turn from them, and to go the opposite way. Now, now let me make a statement. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. You've heard me say this over and over and over again. I am not perfect. And despite what Teresa's mom tells her all the time and what Wayne tells her all the time, she's not perfect either. I think she is, but she's not. I'm not perfect. Your staff isn't perfect. Your elders aren't perfect. We, we will all fail. That's why we're called to continue to repent. So please remember that. Then John prepared the people. He proclaimed repentance and remission. And then we see that he was a preacher. Look at his message in verse 7. It summarizes his sermon. And he preached saying, After he comes, he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. You see, John called the people to repent because his message was about Jesus. You see, compared to Christ, he knew he was nothing. In that culture, taking off the sandals was the job of the, the lowest slave. Roads were, were covered with, with dirt and filth and, and all kinds of, of raw sewage. It would just flow down the roads. Feet, today, feet are nasty. But back then, Feet were even more nasty than they are even today. In, in essence, he's saying, I am nothing, but he is everything. Listen, you will never see the worthiness of Jesus until you first see your unworthiness. 
you will never see your unworthy or your unworthiness until you see Jesus' worthiness. We have to admit that we're a sinner and that we fail fall short. You won't be able to be saved until you settle that Jesus is first and that you are a sinner. Now, this is pretty incredible because Jesus thought pretty highly of, of John. For John to say that he is not even able to untie his sandals, this is what Jesus has to say about John. In Luke chapter 7, verse 28, it says, I tell you among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John thought of himself as the littlest, the least, the least of the least, the last. That's what made him great. You know, we can have um, false humility. Leading up to last Saturday night's game, there was a, or Friday night's game, there was a lot of false humility in myself. I didn't want to have to eat crow by saying that, Ohio State was going to win, and then they lose to Clemson for the fifth time. So I was like, oh, absolutely, absolutely, you know, Ohio State, they're not that good. And there was a lot of false humility in my voice. And, and some picked up on it, and some was like, you said Ohio State was going to lose. Eh, There's a lot of false humility. We don't find that in John. John was completely humble. He wasn't just second he said, I'm the least of the least. Verse 8 shows us that John understood that Christ was, was number one. He says, I have baptized you with water, but he who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John was using water to signify life change. Jesus brings life change through the Holy Spirit. Going underwater signified cleansing, of, but people... Uh, Going under water signified cleansing, but people can only have their sins washed away through the blood of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we move from John, he prepared the way. God used John to prepare the way, but now Jesus comes onto the scene. So, so let's jump forward um, to, to verse 9, and we're going to see what happens here. Now, here's the thing. When, when John comes on the scene, hundreds of thousands of people are coming out to meet John, to get baptized. They hear his message. But when Jesus walks onto the scene, there's no fanfare. Just like there was no fanfare for his, or for, for his birth, there's no fanfare. We haven't heard from Jesus in about um, 20 years. The last time that we see Jesus on the scene was when he was 12 years old and, and at the temple, he simply shows up at the Jordan to be baptized by John. Look at verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. In the Jordan. Have you ever wondered why Jesus was baptized? People use it as, as the perfect example. See, Jesus was baptized, so I should be baptized. Absolutely. But his baptism and our baptism are completely different. You see, it wasn't for remission of sins. It wasn't for forgiveness of sins. Jesus was baptized for something completely else. It was so that he could fulfill all 
righteousness. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 14, it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. I'm sorry, that was verse 9 of Mark chapter 9. Um, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 14, we read this, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John says, you're the Christ. I know who you are. You want me to baptize you? No, 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 I need to be baptized by, by you. And Jesus gives this answer in, in verse 15. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. There it is. What did Jesus have to do? Well, according to the Unger's uh, Bible Dictionary, it, it points out that Levitical law required all priests to be consecrated when they were around 30 years of age. In Numbers chapter 4, through a twofold process of washing and then anointing, and in Exodus chapter 29, verses 4 through 7, when Jesus was washed or, or baptized in the Jordan, the heavens were opened and he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. We see this in Mark chapter 1, verse 10. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, the Greek uh, word which describes the heavens being torn open means to set asunder, divide, rend, to split. It is used only one other time, and that's in Mark chapter 15, verse 38, to describe the thick curtain that was between the Holy of Holies and all of the rest of the people. When Jesus died on the cross, that was torn asunder. A great divide happened. We now had access directly to Jesus. Amazingly, now we have direct access. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1, contains the cry repeated over the centuries as, the people longed for God to come down. This is what we read. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Aren't you glad that Christ came down? Aren't you so glad that he fulfilled all righteousness? Not only to die in our place as the Lamb of God, but also as our high priest. After 400 years of silence from above, broken about 30 years prior, when the angel appeared to Zechariah, John's father, the heavens are ripped open after Jesus is baptized and the Spirit descends on him like a dove. Now when the heavens rip open, you might expect some cataclysmic event to take place. But that's not what happens at this point. A dove. The Spirit descends as a dove. Doves are gentle. They're delicate. They rest in their place. They don't have any talons. A dove comes and rests. Doves also mourn when death comes and they feel distress of the hurting. That's exactly who Jesus is. Have you also noticed, I, I love this, all three members of the Trinity are there when Jesus is, is baptized. We serve one God. 
eternally existent in three persons. Look at verse 11. And a voice came down from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. When God speaks, it's all about his son. God prepares the way through John the Baptist. Now Jesus comes on the scene. And, and as you work with us, as we move forward through the rest of this gospel, this good news, we're going to see Jesus action-packed, moving forward. And that's what you and I have been called to do as well, to move forward in our life. Where you're at, don't sit there any longer. I've got three quick applications application and, and action steps for you. How, how do we take this passage and move it into our lives? Number one, repent. Repent and receive remission of your sins. Heaven is open to you. You have but just to reach out and accept it. That's what you've been called to do. So if you're watching this and, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you can do that today for the very first time. You can repent of your sins. You can have them blotted out. You can email me. You can call me. You can put it in the comments. You, Whatever it takes, text me. Get a hold of me that I can help you, please. If you've already given your life over to Jesus Christ, we're called to constantly repent of our sins. It's not just a one-time thing. To constantly repent and, and turn and go the other way when those sins come up in our lives. It's time to repent wherever you find yourself right now. Don't stay where you are. Move forward constantly. Number two, consciously and continually tell yourself that you are second. Do not put yourself first. That's the problem. Too often we want to look at ourselves and say, look at me. I'm first. John settled this because he was in submission to the Savior. Are you like Don, John in this regard? Or are you like the Trophides? In, in 3 John verse 9, we read that Trophides, who likes to put himself first. I pray that you will take a back seat to Jesus. Don't just let him be your co-pilot. Let him be your pilot. Let him be the one that steers the ship. Let him be the one that makes your path straight. Focus in on who Jesus is. And then finally, who's your one person? One. That's all I ask. As we move forward, I, I just pray and ask that you think of one person this week that you can invite to church service next week. Whether it be online, watching on Facebook, or in person next week. There's one person that you can share the gospel message with this week. I want you to think about them. I want you to write their name down. Put it above your visor that Every morning when the sun's beating down, you look up and, and you see that name. But you will pray for them, that you will pray that, that God will give you the courage to speak to them. One person that you can invite next week. As we've went through all of this, now we're going to take communion. I want you to, to just stop and think about everything that's been going on in your life.
this week? Where do you need to repent? What do you need to lay at the foot of the cross? You can do that as we partake of communion. And obviously, you have to use your own emblems today. Whatever those emblems might be, it's about Jesus. It's about remembering his sacrifice. So the bread, whatever it is that you use, you remember that it was his body that was broken for you. The juice or whatever it is that you're taking this morning, it represents his blood that was spilled out, that was poured out, that he died in your place. He died the death that we should have died. Let's pray. Almighty Father, I thank you so much that we are able to come and to worship you today. Father, that, that we are able to know who you are that we're able still to meet in person this way. Father, I just pray and ask that you be with all of those who are going through hardships, that are dealing uh, with, with the effects of this virus that are going on. And Father, I also ask that you help us deal with the, the, the major virus that all of us deal with, and that is of sin in our lives. Father, that we will remember that we are not to be first, that we are to always put you first in everything that we do. Father, as we partake of communion, as we sing one more song, Lord, that we will just uplift you each and every day. We pray all of this in your Son's most holy and precious name. Amen.